This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. I am Holly Snape from Community Waikato and have with me Karen Stockman from Community Waikato. Morina. Nice to have you here, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> and um, you've been with Community Waikato for a, quite a long time now. 11 no, years. I going to say I don't want to age you, but you, you <laughs> did it yourself. <laughs> yep, 11 years. Yep. So um, it, it is great, actually. We're lucky to have such a, a, a stable team. Been there for a very, very long time. Um, one of the things we're lucky, um, with many reasons we're lucky to have you, Karen, but one of those reasons is around your skills in the space of de-escalation, and this relates to previous work yeah. that you've been involved with. Um, it, it's something as a sector we're seeing more and more of a need for. Um, so today we're going to have a, a conversation about what de-escalation is um, and what are some of those, uh, I suppose, driving principles of de-escalation. Um, and of course, Community Waikato will be looking at putting on some training at some point as well. So we'll be encouraging you to keep an eye on our website uh, for details to follow. Yes. Um, but first of all, Karen, let's start with what it even is. What are we talking about when when we say de-escalation? Um, I guess I don't usually use that language, but that is the language that people come looking for training in because they've been contracted to provide that training for their staff but for me it's about dealing with challenging interactions dealing with challenging situations where there is um, agitation or there are high emotions and it's about being able to deal with those situations in a way that look to turn the situation around and create a sense of calm or a sense of resolution so there are lots of reasons people might be um, have a heightened state of emotion. Absolutely. <laughs> Some, sometimes that can come across as quite aggressive. Sometimes it can come across as a little bit erratic or, or not even kind of not being able to work out what someone's trying to say. Like, yeah. So there are different ways this can present, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reality is that in most of our organisations, we're dealing with people who've got hard stuff going on. Yeah. And, and often, you know, people might not even have the tools to deal with with the things that they're experiencing either. So sometimes if the only tool you've got in your kit is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, and and we often find too that a lot of our frontline organisations are the, the last place someone's gone to. So they've gone to various other places and been told, no, we can't help, you need to go here. No, we can't help, you've got to go there. And and so people can feel quite pushed around by the time they get somewhere and then hear, no, we can't help. They, you know, can be quite frustrated sure. and, and worried, eh? And sometimes the things that people are carrying, they're actually outside of our control. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. um, we might be dealing with the um, impacts of experiences that we don't have any power to influence. And that's, I think, part of what's tricky mm. about it is because... We know that we don't have an answer for people or that we can't fix things. Yeah. Um, it makes it harder to try and 
deal constructively with people we often just want them to go away yes <laughs> and so obviously that's not de-escalation just trying to make someone go away or with, pass with the, the back least, yeah with the least possible damage to your team that that's not the that's not the goal from this is it no so that's what, not the goal from what this. Is, what is the goal so the goal from this i guess is to turn the escalating situation around and look to find some constructive way forward yeah so this is a bit of your background. Where does this even come from for you in terms of your background? So, well, I originally trained as a teacher of people with intellectual disability at Tokunui Hospital, which is one of the local um, psychiatric and psychopedic institutions in New Zealand. So that was the one that was in the Waikato. Um, and I worked for a number of years in specialist behaviour support. So um, I come from an applied behavioural background mm. in, in that regard. And... I, as part of my role in the behaviour assessment team, I did a lot of staff development and staff training, and I trained as a professional crisis development trainer and a um, non-violent crisis intervention trainer. Um, you know, back, I don't want to say back in the day, Karen, because again, it sounds like I'm trying to age you, but... <laughs> it's okay, Ollie. Previously, um, the handling of people who were becoming let's just say agitated was quite physical at times but this is very much about not being physical isn't it well I think that's well outside of the scope of what we would be doing with people absolutely so Uh, for me from from a personal point of view I think the only time we, we would be putting our hands on people in any circumstance is where there is a legal requirement to do so or yeah. a legal permission to do so I think when you physically manage people you um, inherently alter the nature of the relationship that you have with them and in a lot of ways we would be making uh, creating a greater risk to staff if we had them suddenly start manhandling yeah. or woman handling people yeah. who came into their organisation yeah yeah, and it can have quite the opposite effect um, from de-escalating a situation Absol- oh, totally absolutely yeah. Um, but having said that, though, Holly, I think, you know, where the physical management stuff often came in was around um, imminent danger to someone's physical safety. safety and yep. I think what we would be looking at and what I talk about in, in the training that we do is making sure that there are spaces that are safe that people can remove themselves to and be secure in if they are confronted with that degree of agitation while they seek yeah. appropriate support, which would be dialing 111 in, this, in those kinds of circumstances if your physical safety was in, mm, in jeopardy. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's interesting because that, that goes back a little bit to, I suppose, the conversation we had in the Managers Forum a couple of weeks ago, um, not in this space, but, you know, in, in, our, um, in our day job, uh, where we we talked about the requirement really of management to set um, the boundaries, the support, the mechanisms, the structures in place for teams to ensure they can be safe and absolutely in a safe space would be one of those. Yes, yes, absolutely, Holly. A safe space would be one of those. A, a way of seeking assistance easily and um, quickly would be another. Yeah, um, but also I think, and you and I have talked about this before. Some people need permission, and they need permission to do, um, make decisions to do things that seem like quite big. And calling the police for assistance is one of those things that people will often feel reluctant to do unless they've got explicit permission 
from their organisation or a directive from their organisation that this is what we do. And I guess the other thing I'd say, Holly, is that none of these things are an absolute surprise. Yeah. Like, we know that we deal with agitated people and, you know, in the kinds of services that we provide. And so we need to be thinking about that when we're not dealing with agitated people and actually having some kind of strategy yeah. or plan in place. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Ab- we shouldn't yeah, go, oh, thank goodness we haven't, you know, had an assault. Yes. But we have had a staff member called every name under the sun and threatened and their family threatened in there. Mm. Um, if we know that there's a chance that we're going to be dealing with those kinds of situations, we have an obligation to think about how we equip people to do that. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the principles then that, that kind of guide um, the the work we do in the space of de-escalation. What are some of those higher principles? Um, I guess at, at the highest level, and this comes from non-violent crisis intervention, but it's about care, care, welfare, safety and security for everyone. Yeah. Not just for ourselves, but for the people that we serve as well. And so when we think about how we... Um, intervene or how we are in a situation we're wanting to make sure everybody's okay yeah so I think that's an that's an underlying principle and the other thing is it's really difficult to see where prevention ends and intervention begins Mm. so I encourage people to look at how they set up an environment that minimizes the uh, likelihood that things will escalate in the first instance because we're always trying yeah. to keep us a, um, a calm environment so that's about how we engage with people to start with it's about the tone we set for the relationship mm. it's about the deposits we get in the goodwill bank account of yeah. the relationship that we have with people um, it's setting, not setting expectations nice absolutely and Holly set, and, and part of that is absolutely setting expectations not setting up people to have expectations that we can't fulfill yeah yeah. so I think it's Kiwi Host that talks about under promise and over deliver yeah well, yeah well it's that same kind of principle really we don't promise stuff we can't deliver on and if anything we're quite cautious about the commitments we make. So, yes. we, you know, we're not overzealous and, and, oh, yes, we can do that and we can do that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a degree of honesty in there. I think that's really important. Um, sometimes we don't have the luxury of doing that, though, if we're working in the kind of organisation where we have people coming off the street and we don't always know them or haven't met them. Yeah. But simple things like greeting someone the minute you see them come in, even if you're not able to attend to them, yeah. Immediately acknowledging that they're there, mm, mm. you might think about the things that you have available in that space of where people will enter, like a cup of tea type of thing, could glass be. of water. Yeah, it could yep. be a glass of water. It might be that there's information there. Mm. Um, like I'll just give you an example of something that um, we noticed as an organisation a few years ago. So we had some signage that we used at Community Waikato that talked about the types of services that we provided. And one of the one of the areas that we work in, as you're well aware, is that we often help people with their legal sort of structure stuff, and it might be about looking at, you know, if they're a trust, looking at their legal structure. So one of the descriptors that was on the sign that talked about the work that we did was, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was legal something. Mm. And that created a huge issue for us because we would often get people coming off the street yeah. 
one confusing us with another organisation, Community Law. Just yep. over the hill. Just so over the hill. Very close. So sometimes confusing us with Community Law, but oftentimes responding to what they saw on the sign. Mm. So they came in immediately with an expectation that we would help them with their tenancy issue, mm. with their relationship breakdown issue. And so right from the get-go, we had set up an expectation that was unrealistic yeah, yeah. and inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, um, probably lucky that we're so close to CAB who do provide an incredible service in Absolutely. that space. But, but you're right, I mean, that's... But and, even and having to direct someone on to another organisation, it's just another it's that, that weight that we lay on people. So I guess another principle of de-escalation is to ensure that we're not adding burden, Yeah. so we're not adding extra weight. And it's real simple things like... And Jason, our administrator, is very mm. good at this... If someone comes in and they and they need something and we notice that we're not the right people, is instead of saying, Well, we're not the right people, off you go and see That's such and such organisation is to say, Look, we're not the right people, but sit down and let me help you um get in contact with the people who are the right people. So instead of just sending them off to yeah. be completely sorting it out themselves, as even as simple as looking up a phone number in the phone book or sitting down or Googling yep. and looking for the website and saying, well, yep. here's the person, or ringing the person, or there's a multitude yep. of things we can do that make it easier for the person to be sent away from us yeah. and sent somewhere else. And feel like they've got something out of that interaction yeah. that was positive. That it didn't make it harder, even yeah. though it is hard. Yeah. You know, listening is, mm. is another really core or, um, yeah, like a core generic key skill, yeah. micro skill that we need to encourage in our staff, really listening. Yeah. Yeah, active listening. Eh? Yeah, it is an active, not a passive process. Yeah. And yep. it doesn't involve talking. And it doesn't involve assuming what you think someone's going to say. And it's That's quite right. easy to do that, isn't it? Mm. Um, we're going to take a short break, listen to some music. And when we come back, we'll just continue this conversation. Try to have some fun It's quicker if you run 
This is a chemist, not a junkie shop. Party heads, simple in a clear. Comprehend this and be understand. Do you hear? A pack of party heads with the color tips. To like Gorgon's her gossip. Well, hello, Joe, hello, Miss Craven. He hadn't returned from the day. Welcome to the house of fun. Now I've come of age. Welcome to the house of fun. little bit of house of fun for you. I'm here with Karen Stockman from Community Waikato, both of us from Community Waikato, having a bit of a conversation today about de-escalation. Um, and we do hear, um, we hear a lot of conversations actually about the need for this in our community. And, and we've found, particularly would you say post-COVID, that there's been an increase in at least awareness of um, the need for this sort of thing? I think what's been highlighted, if, if we could call it post-COVID or since COVID emerged is that people's tolerance is lowered yeah, and people are under a lot more stress and that doesn't just mean the people that we serve, we're talking about the people that we employ in our organisations as well. Having said that, it has always been a a relatively popular topic or Mm. a relatively important topic for organisations who have contracts particularly with MSD or MOH or the DHBs working with vulnerable communities. The community houses also, you know, get a lot of that off the street. Yeah. You know. So often with the community houses, and I have done a lot of work with the community houses around the region, the, they seek it out because they identify the need because of their experiences. So yeah. oftentimes it'll be an incident occurs yeah. and they suddenly are faced with, you know, gosh, we can't expect people to operate under those circumstances. Yeah, no, that's, that's very understandable. And we're hoping to preempt that a little bit with some training um, in the next little while for, yes. for the community. Sector. So it was a very popular topic, wasn't it, for the managers forum? We had probably one of the biggest turnouts we've had yep. with a variety of participants who are not regulars at, yes. at the forum. So that was, I think, an interesting and reflection of maybe where the priority lies for people. And I think, you know, if we if we return to the concept of principles around de-escalation, what we were really trying to address um, with that conversation was the importance for management to take leadership in this space. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. So de- the, the idea that um, the people who are involved directly in the incident are the ones who have all the responsibility for dealing with safety is ludicrous. Yeah. So that's kind of like the that's the um thin end, thin edge of the wedge. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Like the yeah. the bigger issue is ensuring that we have a safe environment, ensuring that we've got policies and procedures and structures in place that maximise safety. And so what are the, some of the things we talked right at the start about potentially making sure there's a safe space and so we can see it in the banks where they've got, um, you know, often even glass or something between people yes. and, you know, so that, that's yeah. an option. But it's quite difficult for the community yeah. sector to be in that sort of position. So how would a... So it's things like 
um, not having people working in isolation, or if they are working in isolation, that they have some kind of mechanism that gets them immediate assistance. Like a panic they requ- button. Like a or panic, a, yeah, yeah. Like a panic button, yeah. A room to go into that they can um, lock. Some kind of safe space that they can yeah. retreat to and lock. Maybe some agreements in place about whether you have people walk in if there's only one person on site. Yeah. Or whether you need to look at maybe establishing a pool of volunteers so there's almost always more than one person on site at a time. Yeah. Um, or at particular times. Maybe you need to look at reducing the amount of time that you're open to the to walk-ins off the street. Mm. So there's a variety of things you would need to look at. And I know that one of the biggest barriers to this is that people would say, but we are a Flax Roots yeah. organisation. We are here to serve the community. We can't limit. So those those barriers, uh, those barriers that could be protecting could also be seen as um, a not, barrier between, you know, like for the relationship. Yeah, or, or not... Um, or not, you know, that's we're not fulfilling our purpose if we do these things. But I think it's a very um, challenging situation for organisations to face because you have obligations under the Health and Safety at Work Act to ensure the safety of people. And if you know that dealing with agitated or distressed individuals is a risk, in your organisation, then you have a legal and moral obligation to do something about it. So it's a really important conversation to start. Yeah. And I think that's another key aspect of this is that we want we would want to approach it as a conversation rather than make a whole bunch of decisions yeah. about what we're going to do without talking with the people who are yeah are most affected. I think sometimes even being really, really clear about what our expectations are when mm. we deal with with people too yeah and potentially understanding um when i say the appetite i i mean that in in quite a loose sense of the word the appetite that each of the staff members might be able to have for 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 dealing with aggression that's right yeah so like i've got quite a high appetite for that conversation whereas or tolerance maybe yeah I can deal. That's. It, it, I don't find it traumatic, but for some people, even an elevated voice can be triggering. Yes. And it can be really traumatic, and it can cause actual harm yes. to the person who's yes. trying to manage that. Yes. And in the past, we've often thought, well, actually, you're in a you're in a, a role, you're in a paid role or a voluntary role. It's your job to do this. But when we understand human nature, we know that that's right. People come with a whole background of history and experience mm. that mean that we're not all starting in the same place when it comes to dealing with certain behaviour. Yeah, yeah. And I, and in that regard, I think creating a culture where there is safety for people to express how they feel yes. is critical. Yeah. Because we can sometimes make progress if people are able to say, you know what, that behaviour makes me feel this way mm. or I feel immobilised by this if we don't create an environment where people can express that because they're afraid mm. or they're embarrassed, then yeah. um, that increases the risk that we're exposing the organisation to. Mm. Do you find a lot of organisations who, who come to us to have these conversations um, have already done quite a bit of thinking? Or are they all at different stages? They're all. I was just going to say that that's a hard question to yeah. answer because it varies. Yeah. Some people have done a lot of thinking. Some organisations very, uh, 
loose loose break. Barry the heads in the sand and just go, yep. Oh, you know, thank goodness that's over. Yeah. And kind of lurch from one sort of crises to the next um, because they don't happen very often yes so it's like fuel thank goodness that's over let's just pretend that didn't yeah. happen um until the next time it happens yeah and and it, yeah it is but I the s- legislation around health and safety now with the 2015 yes. health and safety legislation change that makes it really really clear that we can't do that that's yes. not an option of all the options of things we can do ignoring it and going thank goodness that you know, thank goodness that wasn't worse than it could have been, is not actually an appropriate It's not option. defendable. <laughs> what it's if you're not... a complete volunteer organisation? Well, then you might say that you don't have a legal responsibility, but I would argue you have a moral responsibility. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, Nobody wants to see people hurt no. as, a, as a part of them achieving their social outcome that they're looking for, social impact. Yeah. It's really interesting. So when I think about the principles of um, de-escalation, when I think about if we look at examples of of what we see, like so, for example, if you look at the way American policing happens, and you compare that to um, often what we see, at least televised, of New Zealand policing, it's quite a different approach to having conversations with people. And I think that is um, the you know the comment I made earlier about that it's hard to see where prevention yes. ends and intervention begins is because I think we do a much better job at prevention. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's you know uh, one of the underlying principles of of any kind of. Um, attempt to work with with someone else's actions or behaviour is understanding that you can't make people do anything that they don't want to do. Yeah, right? you cannot force your you can't force your will upon someone. Even young children, you can't make them do things that they decide they don't want to do. Um, and that's really important to understand because at the same time as that, we know that we don't live in a vacuum. So mm. my behaviour impacts on you, and your behaviour impacts on me. So a big component of de-escalation training is actually looking at our own behaviour. It's not looking at the, the mm. other person's behaviour. It's looking at what we do. So our behaviour can either escalate or de-escalate a situation. I'm not saying that yeah. we are... I'm, I'm just thinking anyone living with a teenager right now is probably sitting there nodding. You, you, you'll know experiences totally. of that. <laughs> and yeah. you know that, absolutely. And I've, yeah. I've had a number of teens. <laughs> yeah. um, absolutely. And you know the times that you escalate something by just having to have the last say. Yeah. Just yeah. having to say, that was a rude way to speak to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we should always accept rude behaviour, but let me tell you, in a crisis situation, that is not the time to get on your dignity and say, I won't be spoken to like that. Thank you very much, Holly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a follow-up conversation when emotions totally are a little bit... when emotions are calm. Yeah. And that's actually one of the hardest things for people to get their heads around, because they'll say things like, well, I don't go to work to be spoken to like that. That's right. And that's yeah. true, we don't. No, absolutely. But telling someone that in the midst of a tirade of verbal kind of abuse yeah. is probably not the best time to do that if we're trying to de-escalate the situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's uh, And so that's what I mean about us managing our own behaviour. That is the key to de-escalation. Yeah, and keeping in mind that People aren't going to do what they don't want to do, so you that, need... That's exactly right. So there's no guarantees. Yeah, yeah. So when we say, well, we'll do de-escalation training and then we won't have any issues anymore, that's not true. Mm. 
Um, This is a huge topic and we're running out of time. We're pretty much run out of time. Um, But we are going to be doing some training in August. Yes, Yes, we've blocked out a date. Um, I can't tell you what it is, but what I can tell you to do is in the next couple of weeks to jump on the website of Community Waikato and have a look um, in the workshops. It's us for another week. Um, You've been listening to Connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.